Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode, uh, I believe episode three of, of Dive Cuts. Uh, Matt and I are, are back and refreshed from a, a, a long, uh, like, week-long break from podcasting. <laughs> uh, but the reason that we're back um, from our hiatus is Mizzou actually had some really, really great news um, just last week. The long pursued, uh, well thought of, highly regarded uh, Aiden Shaw, Matt, committed to the University of Missouri to play basketball for head coach Conzo Martin. How about that? No one saw this coming. No one. <laughs> it was a complete shock. I'm curious um, how many minutes of uh, previous podcasts do you think we've devoted to Aiden Shaw? Uh, and like the number of times he's been mentioned in print on Rock'em Nation. I think, I think this is, uh, this is, well, I very clearly, this is the, the biggest recruit that, you know, Consul Martin has, uh, gotten a commitment from, uh, since the 2017 class. Uh, he is the highest rated kid, um, you know, since the, trio of you know tillman um the porters you know michael porter jante porter uh those three are all rated higher um but not by a lot when you look at the difference between jeremiah tillman and aiden shaw aiden shaw uh what he dropped into the low 50s yeah 53rd in the composite if you were to look at 
I tend to look at when I evaluate Missouri's recruiting, I go back to the first class when they moved to the SEC, so the 2012 class. Since 2012, um, he would be the ninth best uh, recruit that Missouri has signed based on composite rating and the seventh best high school prospect. And as you mentioned, the highest since 2017. So that's where he sort of fits in. The only the only guys in front of him are Jakeen and Gant, Jonathan Williams, Jeremiah Tillman, Montague Gill, Montague Gill Caesar, Jonte Porter, and Michael Porter. So those are the high school kids in front of him. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, if Techie was going to be in there. that group. Yeah. Yep. He Techie. was uh he was like 43rd or Yeah, Techie was uh a 98.6 basically in the composite and uh, Shaw's a 97.9 so that if if that means anything to anybody out there but yeah, Techie was um probably yeah, borderline top 40 depending on what <laughs> the composite looked like that year. It moves around a little bit. I don't use ranking i use the grades just because though it doesn't always align one to one every year so that's i'm sorry folks i don't have like a straight number i use the grade that uh the composite gives them but nonetheless well, and honestly like that's smart because uh there there are stronger classes there are weaker classes yeah. and i mean like you're gonna see fluctuation but uh i do think that those recruiting services do try to assign um you know, the at least two four seven sports has always, you know, tried to do their best at 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 you know building that out in a way that so, you know, maybe maybe one year like a you know, a kid that's ninety seven hundred is fifty, uh the next year like it it might be a kid that's ninety eight hundred. Yeah. Um the grades are stay static even if the rankings based off them don't. So that they adjust, you know, relative to the class itself. But the but the grade is the tool that they use. So I figure using that grade assigning is probably the best way to work across classes, like you said. So uh, top 10, uh, uh, one of the top 10 kids they've signed since moving to the SEC 10 years ago. So uh, you have any initial hot takes on, um, you know, now that that it's official, I think, um, you know, you can can address the topic of Aiden Shaw in a different way. and so I'm curious, like initial thoughts. Um, I, like I think I, I wrote three pieces about it. So if people didn't read it, I'll be brief here. If you were kind of reading tea leaves over the last six weeks, you could kind of see it heading this way. Um, Aiden had a top six, but long story short, four of them sort of fell off. And this was sort of a question of where is Kansas in relation to Missouri in this recruitment? Um, you know, Kansas, didn't I don't think you can say from the outside looking and didn't have Shaw on top of their board. They were at Mark Mitchell. They had Chris Livingston. They have MJ Rice, who they did land a commitment from over that period. Um, and they so, also have Grady Dick on the uh, yeah on the commitment list. Yeah, Grady's been there for quite a while, so I, you know th- he he was locked up. So I was looking at guys that they were still actively recruiting. There was basically a handful of guys that Kansas was looking for at that three four hybrid spot. And Missouri obviously had Mitchell in the mix there too, but, you know, you and I both said, if you look at what, you know, recruiting insiders have basically said, they view that as a Duke-UCLA race. So for all intents and purposes, Missouri was, you know, probably at Shaw, let's say 1B on the board, if you believe that Mitchell's top. He may have been third or fourth on Kansas's board. And about a week ago, I heard from some people who 
kind of knew what the Kansas staff was thinking. And, you know, the sense was that, you know, they were basically out on Shaw. And once that happened, it was really not so much a question of Kansas passing, but that like Missouri had done a good enough job positioning itself to, you know, win this. And then Kansas wasn't going to, you know, try and make a late push. You know, Missouri was ahead and Kansas wasn't going to try and rally and get in the mix. So I think what that does is speaks to, you know, Missouri doing what you and I have talked about. We wanted them to do, which was identify a high profile guy early, build that relationship and, you know, see something result from, you know, 13 to 15 months worth of work, probably longer. You know, Shaw had said they'd been, you know, in touch with them since he was a high school freshman and to some degree. So it's what you and I have talked about. Identify, build the relationship, close. And they got some events to break their way, which Missouri hasn't always had. You know, Shaw stayed kind of stagnant in the rankings. He didn't fall, but he just, you didn't see that push from number 50 to number 30 or 20 that would bring in the kind of blue blood that would elbow out Missouri. So they, they did a good job building the relationship. Shaw is still a really, really good prospect. And they got lucky that, you know, no one else tried to move in to move them off the spot. Yeah. I think like, you know, one of the things that we've talked about pretty consistently on the pod is, um, you know, as guys that have sort of played themselves out of Missouri's range, yeah. um, you know, and, and Aiden has, has, played himself up the rankings. So I think originally he was um, below 100 kid. He popped into like the 70s. Uh, and... the, yeah, the 70s, 80s. And, and he's, he's right now he's in the low 50s. Um, and, you know, I, like where he ends up is, is sort of immaterial. Like, like I, I tend to think that um, in each class, and again, I think we've probably talked about this a million times, in each class you're going to have a handful of elite kids. And the rest of it is like, you're uh you're really parsing um very yeah. very minor differences uh he's an elite prospect he has nba potential um but he's not he's not a surefire one and done he's not a guy who uh is a projected lottery pick you could see he's two a, and done for him like that would be if everything went right two and done two and out well and and so uh so, you know, a little, little preview. I think we are kind of planning on uh, having Eric Bossy um, on the podcast, maybe next podcast, um, depending on how schedules work out. Uh, Eric was supposed to be on tonight. Uh, his wife had to go out of town um, and uh, left him with the kids. And for all of you out there with children, you know how that goes. Um, so I completely understand. We, we, you know, we cut Eric loose to let him uh, go be a dad. Um, I, I do think you'll enjoy our, our, our guest here. So, uh, we're going to have CDOT, uh, Harrison on to talk about his upcoming documentary here shortly. But, um, one of the things that Eric Bossy mentioned in the broadcast is, a, 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 a you know, they're, they always try to do player comparisons and, uh, he, he compared Aiden to sort of a, a Jeremy Grant and, I think that that is a really good comparison when you look at uh, size and athletic ability and, and versatility. Um, if you're looking for overall college impact, <laughs> uh, it may not be the best news that you wanted to hear um, if you're a Missouri fan. You know, Jeremy Grant was a really good college player. Um, and I, like, I don't want to you know, speak ill of, of his college career. He was a really, really good college player. But 
Jeremy Grant has really come into his own later in life. And I, I, especially. Yeah, like like I think that like that's one of those things that, you know, like I do think when you're talking about what kind of player Aiden could be, I think that is in the realm of conversation. I think the player that Missouri is getting uh, right now is a guy that realistically, like they kind of have a lot of the same skill set already on the roster. And I'm okay with that because I, I think, you know, the more uh, long athletic guys who can play all over the floor and defend at a high level, uh, you know, if, if he becomes a consistent shooter, man, I just, I, I think he could. Yeah. The jumpers, the, the, the kind of the swing skill for him early on. Right. But I think you're looking at a guy who, uh, as far as like impact collegiately, you're looking more at like a Jordan Barnett versus um, Michael Porter. Like a, a yeah, he's not a scoring like wing. Like what I wrote about him was the one thing. Like if you watch him play, you can tell the dude loves to defend, and you for you and I. That's great. Like I remember, I think I told you just back in July, like watching him at Peach Jam, like lock up a top one hundred and fifty point guard one day, like in Bryce or in a combo, and Bruce sends the ball. He's a top eighty kid one day, and then put the clamps on Amani Bates, you know, for the first half. The next day, it was just amazing. Like he literally was Rodney Perry, the Mocan coach, maybe doesn't use him as a primary offense guy, but you walked out and you saw who he was matched up with defensive. It was like, yeah, you know who the top defender is for this group. And he bought in and he was so good at all the things that like you want to see. He understood where to rotate, the angle to go to. He His first step slide is great. He understands how to, how to force guys to a weekend. He just, he does all the things you want to see a high level defender do. And the kid just wants to compete on the glass. It, so I think that's what Missouri fans, you know, and I would want to stress is you're getting a guy who could be an elite level defender. And that matters, especially, you know, at the three, four spot where the game is going. And, you know, I think the, I wrote this in you know one of the pieces, you know, when we talk about a plug and play guy, we usually think offense, this guy could be a plug and play elite defender at the three and four spot for Missouri. And, and I just think that's, su- and especially in the SEC, where we see really long, really rangy, really bouncy 3-4 hybrids, you, you need a guy like that. And I think they went and got one. And that's where I think fans should be excited is they went, they went and found a guy who Zoe has needed on that offensive end of the floor. And, and, and I'm excited to see how yeah, he goes there. I, I think that I have kind of seen a few people say he's not a plug-and-play guy. And I'm just like, well, I mean, it, I think that kind of depends on your uh, – like your definition of plug and play, like he's going to play a lot as a freshman and why he's going to play a lot because he defends his ass off. Uh, He's athletic as hell. Uh, And I think he has enough offensive tools right now that he becomes a plus offensive player. Um, Now, but he's not, he's not going to be a star. You know, I think at at best you're, you're looking at a guy, maybe, you know, eight, nine points a game, maybe four or five rebounds. I think you're really happy with that as a freshman. Yeah, I think the one thing, and I wrote this, is what makes me positive is you look at his jump shooting volume at Blue Valley High School. He shot 36% from the high school line, but it was on heavy volume, like six or seven attempts per game. You would like look at, you know, you try and you know 
put it in a standard, you know, model. You know, most of the there weren't a ton of outliers, and he's a guy who shoots a pretty consistently 35, 36% night in and night out. So if you put in the high school, if you move into the college line, you get him used to it. Maybe he's only a 33% shooter, 32% shooter as a freshman. But that's that's median for a high major player. The real thing is if that shooting gets to 36, 37, now you've got a guy who can space off the floor, who can now catch rip and go against closeouts. But as we've talked about, where I think he can make a dent right now is that guy just busts his ass in transition. Like he will get out run the wing, and if you've got a point guard who can keep their head up and is looking ahead, he's going to get to the rim, and you just have to put it in the vicinity, and he'll go get it. Good off-ball cutter. You know, I think the one thing that, you know, I'm sort of interested to see what he can do is, you know, what's he going to be able to do with some self-creation? If the ball swings to him and it's not a straight catch-and-shooter off a kickout, can he create a little bit, you know, maybe on that second-side situation? That's where I think he's got a. You're going to see the swing skill. What can he do off spot ups, and what can he do when the ball swings to him, and he's got to try and create, you know, off one to two dribbles. Is he going to be able to have kind of the mid range game come along? Is he going to be a guy who can just put on strength and be a power driver? But right now, there, the skill sets there to be a guy who can get you eight to nine a night, who's going to be a monster defensively, and who just plays really hard. So. Is he an offensive plug-and-play guy? Maybe not, but he's going to do a lot of things that really, really good basketball teams need. So it's curious. Jeremy Grant uh, played two years at Syracuse. Yeah, he was a perfect fit for Bayheim in that zone. Bayheim, like, literally, I was surprised Bayheim didn't offer Shaw because he's exactly what Bayheim's typically recruited for the 3-2 zone. And for some matchup stuff there where it's almost like a soft man. And Jeremy Grant was really long. They could put him sometimes... They would, depending on the matchup, if it was a, maybe an undersized line, they might have him that low spot on the baseline, or they might put him, you know, sometimes off the kick side. You know, if you were going to try and penetrate to the middle and you might try and kick to the weaker side of the zone, he would play there. But he was just a guy that, you know, was really long, could cause problems, rebounded really well, raw offensively. But a lot of scouts loved him because he just had all the physical tools played his ass off, played really good defense. And they said, we can see the things that are, you know, the hints of him offensively, you know, we'll put him in a gym and we'll make him better. And lo and behold, he's done that. So um, I think Jeremy's thing is he wasn't used to being a big offensive piece last year. So his defensive numbers took a hit, but now that he's used to sort of the workload offensively. I think he'll balance it, but you can see a lot of shades of, of what Jeremy did in, in Aiden's game. I'm trying to find his uh, his two four seven profile, but so uh, yeah, uh, Jeremy Grant only averaged uh, here he is okay. So he was a 48th ranked player in the country um, from Dematha Catholic. Um, his rating was 98.16 in the composite um, in the class of 2012. So, uh, but yeah, he only averaged. Um, a hair over 12 points a game. Uh, he did average almost seven rebounds. Uh, so obviously a very effective player, um, you know, but not a guy who kind of came in and, um, you know, and really blew the doors off scoring the ball. He, he was a great college player because he was effective. Uh, that Syracuse team was really good that he averaged 12 points a game for. Uh, he did only average about four points a game as a freshman. 
Um, on it, but that team was a. Uh, uh, I think they that they lost in the national semifinal. Is that right? That final four team. Um, uh, they lost in the elite eight to Ohio State. Regional final. Okay. Whole yeah. schedule of results um, here. Um. No, so that's uh twelve thirteen. They yeah, lost to Michigan. 13, they, yeah, in the in the final four. In the final four, and then the next yeah, it's the next year, the sophomore year, they lost in the second round. Um, yeah. Grant's freshman year, they they had a one he had a one hundred three offensive rating on sixteen percent usage. Um, so low usage, high efficiency guy. Um, twenty fourteen. Grant was at one fifteen. Point six on twenty one percent usage. Uh, my man did not make a three. He went zero of five. <laughs> so we have higher hopes for Aiden um, uh, in that category. Aiden Aiden will shoot jumpers, but like you know, you I, you look at his block, you know, and steal percentages at Syracuse are are pretty solid. The dude was a monster on the glass. Um, so I, I think that's what you're gonna see from Shaw is kind of that similar trajectory, only hopefully with a Especially now with that swing skill of being able to be a floor spacer, especially in the corner. Well, I'm excited. Uh, you're excited. It's nice to see Missouri basketball get a recruiting win. Um, they've been the bridesmaid uh, off lot the last three or four years. Um, so it's nice to see them actually uh, become like, the bride, I guess, in that, if that's the, uh, the metaphor that we're using. They got to the yeah, altar. Made it all the way. Um, So I think we are going to focus um, more on Aiden next week, or and not next week, but in two weeks. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to get uh, Bossy on. He'll be, give, be able to give us a full scout what he thinks, uh, what kind of impact he can have uh, for Missouri. Um, I'm hopefully we can get that that worked out. Eric's obviously a busy guy, so we'll we'll see. Um, but you and I. Uh, are pretty excited about this Paseo to Pembroke thing. Um, Very much. We are basketball nerds, and this is a basketball nerd podcast. And Carrington uh, Harrison has put together the like the mecca of like basketball nerdism, which is talking about like late '80s through the '90s high school basketball in Kansas City. And a documentary. So let's bring on Carrington. I can't wait to talk about this, Matt. I am so stoked for this movie. Uh, yeah, so let's go talk to CDOT. And I'd like to welcome in a friend of the program, friend of the website, a former contributor of Rock'em Nation, threw a few, few thoughts and ideas out there. Carrington Harrison of 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. He is uh, he is about to release a documentary he's been working very hard on call, uh, called From Paseo to Pembroke. I know I'm very excited to uh, to see this. Um, I think there's a lot of buzz about it. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, CDOT. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, uh, I, I don't like the term former rock M nation contributor i'm still a current <laughs> i'm still a current rock M nation contributor this is what always happens. i'm just waiting on that next that next article man i'm just waiting on it <laughs> this this is honestly what always happens is i'll have an idea 
And then I'll be like, Sam, can I write something? He'll then reply to it two days later. And I've what? I've just lost the vibe at that. Point. <laughs> That's what happens. I lost the vibe. Whenever I'm like, I want to do it, you got to just let me do it. All right. So uh, for everybody listening right now, uh, the the door is always open. See that if you have an idea, you write about it. We'll publish it as soon as it's ready. Okay. All right. You know what? I will write one article prior to the start of basketball season. You have my word. All right. I'm I, I'm looking forward to whatever you have to say because it's always. Uh, at least interesting. <laughs> um, but I do I do kind of want to get going on this documentary, mainly because uh, so you sent me like a, a little link to a teaser, like even before you published this, which I, I appreciate you doing that. I got excited immediately because this is like, this is obviously near and dear to my heart. I'm a 90s kid. You know, I grew up uh, in St. Louis in the 90s. But when you uh, when you're competing in, in different you know basketball circles and all that, like you compete against a lot of the kids in Kansas City side a lot, and so I saw this like I knew every name, I knew like like basically all the highlights, like I, it was familiar, and so I'm like I can't wait to watch this. Uh, so how did this idea come to you, and and like what kind of got you going in the in, in the early days? I watched a documentary on the Rush Brothers. And it kind of got my mind going like there has to be other stories in Kansas City besides this one. I understand why people write the Jerron Rush story, but, you know, just like any place, any community, there's so many stories that are sort of intertwined. And it was sort of a exploration of, you know, finding the stories that I thought were most interesting and the stories that really dominated a certain era of basketball. And the reason it's called From Paseo to Pembroke is it starts with Anthony Peeler and his time at Paseo, and it ends with Jerron Rush and his time at Pembroke Hill. And when you think about during that era, you had Derek Hood, you had Tyron Lue, you had Earl Watson, you had Nate Williams, Victor, uh, 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 Nate Johnson, Victor Williams. You just had so many great players during this time that I didn't think that there was sort of one place to kind of get all this information in one package. So it became a project for me to try to compile all this stuff and kind of neatly wrap it into an hour and a half minute movie. See that I was sort of wondering, you know, we all have ideas that sort of sit around in our heads and, you know, we all have kind of a conception of what it would look like when we, you know, finish a story, we finish a documentary, but there's always facets of it that like we just feel like I got to get this out there. There's this one nugget or these kernels that I have to share with folks. And as you went through the process of, of talking to folks and, and sort of fleshing this out, you know, what details or history did you feel like I've got to share this? You know, there's all these amazing stories, but this story or these details, I have to get this out here. Were there any of that or just sort of what, what was driving you or what gave you that sense of urgency? That's a really good question. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know that I sort of learned and uncovered and just had a greater appreciation for. So Chris Lindley is a player that I didn't really know a whole lot about before I started this process, but his name just caught, his name just kept coming up. And, you know, at some point you just ask the question, well, who is this? And I learned more about his story and his history. And I don't want to give too much because if people don't know the story, it's, it's actually a pretty crazy story. What happened with Chris Lindley that I, I would say it was it was stories or things like that, that 
I thought no one had ever really taken the time to kind of compile all at one time and tell the story in a way with the people that really mattered. And last year, with everything that was happening in COVID, I just thought, hey, there might not be a better time to do this idea in order to tell a story of this magnitude that covers, you know, this length of time. You can't just do it with, you know, five to seven people. Like you need to talk to a little bit of everybody, newspaper writers, radio people, TV people, players, coaches. You know, like you had to kind of talk to everybody. And with everything that was going on last year, you know, people weren't as mobile as they normally were. So a lot of people were home for the summer for the first time or, you know, they weren't taking that vacation. So it kind of allowed us the opportunity to kind of sit down and, you know, sit with people more than once. And, you know, you get a story from one person, and then you go back and you can kind of, you know, use that information to get more out of them the second time. So, um, so I guess to answer your question, that was a long way of answering it. But I would say I would say Chris Lindley's story is the one that it was one of those like, oh, my goodness, like how have I lived in Kansas City my entire life and I never heard this story. Are there any voices in the film that you thought, no way I'm going to get this person? Like even if circumstances are breaking my way with availability and people, you know, being a little bit more static and staying in place, you know, during the pandemic, is there anyone you thought like on the list? I'll take a shot, but I'm not going to get them. You know, I'll, I'll be pretty you know, pragmatic about it. But then you, you see that, you know, text or email or call coming like, yeah, I'll give you that time. Was, was there anyone you thought that was kind of like a white whale that you weren't going to get and wound up in this film? Um, I thought that Jerron was going to be a lot harder to get to do it than he actually ended up being. Uh, Jerron's been super supportive. Uh, he's been super helpful. He's like, helped me, you know, rally up other people to do it. Um, that, that might be the, the biggest thing is, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of thought, Hey, that happened a long time ago. Jerron's not super interested in talking about it, you know, but I, you know, we kind of knew some of the same people. So I was like, well, you know, let's, let's try one thing though, that is disappointing though. The white whale is we were supposed to get Tyron Lou to do it, but the bubble happened the first time. So that kind of ruined it. And then the second time is they actually like kept advancing in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it was like when I thought they were going to lose, cause it was like, Oh, well I can do it during this time. But then when it actually kind of came time, like, Hey, you know, like we kind of got to get it moving. The Clippers kept advancing in the playoffs. So, um, you know, so that, that kind of stalled his involvement in it, but yeah, th- those would be the, those would be the two players that stick out to me the most. Yeah. I was, uh, I was curious if, uh, if you were actually going to be able to, uh, to conjure up Tyron Lue, um, and mainly for those reasons, like it just seems like uh, he's been a, a a pretty busy guy, um, you know. But but I think part of the thing that I've found interesting about like the exploration, uh, you know, is is so being from St. Louis, like I I think Kansas City and St. Louis uh, are incredibly similar cities in a lot of ways, while being also completely uh, different. Uh, and mainly because, you know, like I do feel like Kansas city has like the way it's laid out. Um, and, uh, you know, the focus of, uh, you know, the, the, the powerhouse schools and, and like, I don't, like, I don't know if, if like the Kansas city, Missouri schools, you know, cross the border and play like the Kansas schools, because I really don't think that happens a lot on the St. Louis side. There's just something about like the barrier of the, uh, the Mississippi river, I think that prevents that, um, you know, but is this something where like, obviously like, you know, Paseo de Pembroke is, is speaking of a very specific, uh, you know, school. So, you know, like, uh, Anthony Peeler went to high school, 
uh, at the Paseo. Uh, you know, Pembroke is is where the uh, did all three Rush brothers uh, go there. No, Kareem and Jerron went there. Brandon actually went to a local school called Westport, and then he transferred to Mount okay. Zion. So he went to a prep school. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense because he's a uh, he was a little bit younger, and and at that time prep schools were becoming much more prominent. Uh, where I think you know when we were growing up, like very much like where you grew up, you went to that high school and you played basketball for that high school. Um, you know, it's, but. How how much do you venture out into uh, like the greater Kansas City area, uh, you know, and 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 being able to kind of pull in? Because uh, I know, like, um, you know, from the from the trailer, like Bud Lathrop is uh, is I don't know at least talked about, which makes a lot of sense because um, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the the school that uh, he coached. Raytown He's South. at Raytown South. Uh, Ray South is like one of those iconic Kansas City powers, uh, you know, like the way that Vashon is in, in Missouri. And I'm kind of losing track of my, my original question, but basically like, like how much of the entire Kansas City area are you able to get to in an hour and a half? That's a really good question. Uh, that was something that was really important to me. I mean, you know, in, in some ways you're always going to have the limit of you know, someone's going to feel like they got slighted, <laughs> right. you know, like the movie can't be four hours long. You know what I mean? So like, it can't Ken, be Ken that. Like, no one wants it to be it's a that. nine part series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you know, <laughs> so no, no one wants it to be that. So I think a lot of it was, you know, like any documentary, you have to focus on who you think are the the key people in the story, who has the most interesting story. How do they sort of intertwine with each other to kind of move it forward? And I would say two things to me were really important over the course of this, like what you're talking about, trying to spread it out and try to make sure that we covered as many schools, as many leagues as possible, but in a way that I thought logically made sense. Uh, Like, you know, that that was really important to me and to just accurately tell the stories about individuals in like a in depth kind of way and not kind of blow past it. So someone like Bud Lathrop, you know, like no one's really told his story on camera on the screen in the way that I think we've done it with the amount of people and the video and the audio and all that kind of stuff. So like, how do you kind of bring that home? So those things were, those things were really important to me over the course of kind of putting this together and the production of it. Um, Oh, I got one thing though to what Matt asked me earlier was like, who, you know, kind of jumped off or whatever. I I had talked to Javon Crudup a couple of times before, and we had kind of run, I wouldn't say a similar circle because we're from different generations, but we knew a lot of the same people. I had no clue just like how like grandiose (laughs) his personality was and how like over the top it is. And we've actually gotten kind of close over like the last like months, you know, just talking like regular basketball and stuff. So that's been kind of cool just as somebody who grew up as a Missouri fan that I think for people that love Missouri, like he will be one of the highlights of the documentary, like his personality and him telling kind of his story and Bud Lathrop's story. I was going to say Sam sort of hit on it, you know, in St. Louis, the, the obvious running joke is, you know, what high school did you go to? But I always think there's like that undercurrent of that question that cuts across class, geography, all that kind of stuff. And it gets at the rivalries that sort of exist in a place. And, you know, I think the one thing I liked about the premise of this is that 
you're moving across geography, but you're moving across those same things. Like I said, class, you know, economics, race, everything that sort of comes up, you know, hoops and high school sort of boundaries are a lens for that. What are the sort of the rivalries in Kansas City for folks who aren't from there that you think really kind of sum up the facets of its soup culture or some of those different kind of intertwining aspects of the city? You know, are there any sort of rivalries that sort of get it? Maybe those deeper kind of cultural or kind of community aspects that, that we don't always think about when we just see two teams show up on the hardwood and go at it. Yeah, I'll say this first, and I think it'll answer at least the first part of what you said. Uh, the, the one thing that I think that this documentary will be is a story about community. And I would say sort of the theme over the course of like talking to people and doing these interviews is I think you could really tell to what Sam said earlier, you know, in 1982, there was no going to a prep school. You know, it was I grew up in this area. These are the kids that live around me. We will grow up playing basketball together and we hope to eventually win a state championship that there was a sense of pride and community you got from staying in your neighborhood, staying with the people that you grew up with and going on to make lifelong memories. So keeping that essence of it was really important and making sure that that really shined through that what you said about St. Louis and what high school did you go to? Everybody feels that way. You know, if you went to a prominent high school and you were really good at football or really good at basketball, like that pride that you feel is, uh, is, is really important. Uh, the rivalries that really stood out Raytown versus Ray South was one that really came up a whole lot. A lot of people don't like rockers. <laughs> is one thing I learned too. <laughs> like it was one. <laughs> it was just one of those things, you know, like you would ask somebody like, you know, who did you guys think was your rival? Oh, we hated rockers. We hated rockers. Like everybody kind of had that hatred uh, for them. You know, there was like four different people at four different schools that were like, we always went up against rockers and they beat us. Uh, the competition that was in the uh, Interscholastic League. So that's the Kansas City, Missouri public schools. So Central, Westport, you know, those schools, like the competition. Uh, I, I would say, though, for me, and I can't speak for any other part of the country, but, you know, Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas sometimes feel like very different worlds, you know. And, and hearing the pride that, the Kansas city, Kansas people had for their community and hearing the intensity of their rivals was something that I, I really learned over the process of this too. You know, like I, I didn't grow up over there. So I, one thing I did learn, you know, is if you have basketball as an interest, you know, and it's something that you enjoy, you know, a lot of our experiences are the same. Like if you grew up playing basketball, there was a park that everybody went to. There was a community center that everybody went to. There was a coach that everybody had a run in with, you know? So I, I, I learned that, that those experiences coming up in this basketball culture was the same. And it didn't matter if you lived in Kansas city, Missouri or Liberty or Kansas city, Kansas, or even in St. Louis, there's just certain things that you go through if you're going to play basketball at a really high level. Where does Joko sort of fit into this? Like I, I spent some time in Kansas city after college and it, to speak to sort of your point, when you go to Kansas city, Kansas, it very much changes. But then when you cross over state line road into Johnson County, 
you know, that almost feels like just an entirely different world there. In what sort of way, if at all, are they in the story? And sort of where do you think, if they are, they fit into the broader sort of story that, that you were trying to tell? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I guess another thing that I learned, you know how sometimes people are just like famous for being themselves. So like Greg Gurley, for example, Greg Gurley is the color commentator right now for Kansas basketball. And I've known Greg Gurley for like five to six years, but like, I've never thought of him as, you know, like former Kansas basketball player. Like, you know, you just, you work at Kansas, but Gurley could who? And I don't know why I didn't know that. Like, obviously, like, if you got a scholarship to play basketball at Kansas, you were a really good basketball player. But I had never seen Greg Gurley play basketball before until, you know, late last year. That was the first time I had ever seen Gurley play basketball. But I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, yo, Gurley was a hooper. He was really good. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's so like uh, the uh, Shawnee Mission Schools and at least over the last, you know, five to 10 years, which we didn't really get a whole lot into the doc because it doesn't really cover the time frame. Like you've really seen the Kansas City Metro really expand and you've seen like Blue Valley Northwest really take over where I think if you ask most Kansas Cityans right now, who's the top basketball program in the city? I think some people would say Bishop Miege and then some people would say Blue Valley Northwest. Yeah, I think that's like, it's one of those things sort of interesting uh you know, that kind of pertains to probably a lot of areas is like the shifting dynamics as the population, the population shift, uh, you know, and the early parts of your documentary are covering a time, uh, you know, where, you know, the city schools were, were where it was. And that was like the same thing in, in St. Louis. And I, I find it really interesting because from yeah, you know, like like my brother uh, is seven years older than me, so I graduated high school in 1996. He graduated in 1989. I was the, uh, uh, as we like to say at the time, the manager of the basketball team. Um, you know, when my brother was on on the roster, but uh, now when you look at it, like I was the water boy, right? Um, and so I sat on the bench and I, you know, brought the the guys water and. At that time, like the, the, the powerhouse schools were all really like there were so and I'm sure it's probably the same with like Rockhurst, um, like Desmet was was the only real private school that that was good at basketball and uh, and the rest were public schools, uh, specifically city schools. And I think like that's like where like Floyd Irons and and like he got his reputation like all those guys are actually within Vashon school district uh in the 80s and and now it's like it's becoming this thing where uh you know like like even the the you know the uh like CBC uh has moved from basically at the border of the city in St. Louis out to you know like West St. Louis County uh and it's kind of like we put like you point out like Bishop Miege, which is in Kansas, um, has sort of become this this powerhouse because they're uh, they're a private school and uh, and you know they have a few different resources that becomes attractive to younger athletes. And I think you've seen this shift from you know not only kids going off to prep school, but a lot of the the really the best high school basketball players are now gravitating towards private schools. 
uh, even within their own area. And, and, and even if it's not like a kid that's, you know, not going to be an NBA player, um, you know, but is going to be a, let's even say like mid-major or low-major Division One player, that kid's most likely, uh, you know, being the second or third best player on, a, on like a private school uh, now. And uh, in, instead of being the star at his high school uh, of, of, you know, like where he grew up. So instead of, uh, you know, like the equivalent, I guess, in St. Louis would be like, you know, a kid maybe playing for Pattonville or Berkeley and, um, you know, or, or, or Jennings and instead going to um, CBC and, uh, and, and SLU and Chaminade. And, and like Chaminade was, was trash in basketball uh, for the, the bulk of the nineties. Uh, and then, you know, like, like, you know, I think David Lee kind of started a little bit of a trend there and, and now they're, they're a basketball powerhouse. So I, I think you're kind of seeing that same thing in, in Kansas city and, and how it's impacting, you know, local basketball is, um, is certainly, you know, changing the dynamics a lot. Yeah. And I mean, that was a thing, honestly, that I think, we really wanted to maybe tackle in the early part of doing this. But once we kind of started the process, there was no way to maybe do it as in depth or extensive as we wanted to. So we kind of had to rework the ending of it to, I think, communicate some of what you said. But, you know, we all follow basketball enough. You know, we could have this conversation (laughs) for three hours about, you know, what's like, you know, what what's changed and why everything is sort of the way that it is. And to a point I made earlier, there was such a sense of pride to play for your school that I do think at the end of the doc, people will sort of ask themselves the question, well, like, why can't it be like that again? You know, like we saw this like really hyper-focused excitement for high school basketball during this time. But if we like are really honest with ourselves about where high school basketball is now, it's not anywhere close to that. And then you have to ask yourself why it's not like there's a talent issue. I mean, I I, maybe this is just like me being a millennial and, you know, everything's (laughs) the newest. Like I I don't like I, I think right now basketball players are as skilled as they've ever been. You know, I remember growing up and, you know, I I graduated in 06. If you had a personal trainer, you were like an elite player, you know, like nobody was getting individual skill workouts. But now if you have any aspirations to play basketball, if you don't have a personal trainer, you just you're not going to be able to really break through that. I think we're seeing kids that are so talented coming out of high school that just have so much ability. But to your point, though, they do go to you know, the suburbs, they do go to prep schools, they do go to certain academies that I, I do think in the end, at least I hope so, you know, after the nostalgia and everything that's, you know, really exciting about the era and should be celebrated about the era. I do hope that it makes people ask themselves the question, man, this was really fun. Why can't we do this again? I think what's interesting, you sort of bring it up about where we're evolving, you know, Aiden Shaw, who commits to Mizzou last week, did something that, you know, I think some might have found stunning. He stayed at Blue Valley High School. This summer he said he was going to go play at Link Academy down in Branson. He was going to leave a team he'd played with for three years, guys he'd grown up with, and he was going to go play a national showcase schedule and then, you know, 
a week before school starts says, actually, no, I'm staying here. And I think it speaks to the moment we're in that we're like, oh, that's different. That's staying with the guys that I know, staying with the coach I've had and this program I've had is now seen as unique. And I think in that too, you go look at Link Academy's roster and you go look at Mocan's roster. It's very clear that we're now seeing grassroots move into the actual space. Like Link Academy pushed to get, you know, essentially signed off to have a high school and bring in guys and move into that space. So guys who were playing for Rodney Perry this summer are going to play for him this winter. And that's really where we're going now. We're having guys who will play for a skills trainer, move into a grassroots program, and then move to a prep school linked to that program. And from a skill development perspective, I think it's fantastic. You know, I I don't want to deny that. I think, you know, especially if you have aspirations to play at the next level or you think you can get there, you know, you should begin specializing and you should begin almost treating it as a job. But I do think I agree with some high school scouts that I at least like talk to here in Indy who say like you lose a little bit of that edge, like the kids you're playing against maybe close to you in the rankings. But like you said earlier, you don't see him at the community center. You don't see him down the block at the park. You don't go at him during pickup in summer. Like there's just that edge that gets lost. And so are you trading out skill work for a little bit of that sort of mentality, that sort of competitiveness there? And I think that's sort of what's interesting and what I liked about the premise of this doc is it seems to go back to a point in time where maybe this will make me sound like a curmudgeon, (laughs) but like you just wanted to kick the living shit out of the guy down the block from you. Like you knew that you wanted to come into a gym full of people and you wanted to put on and show you were the best guy in the room. And I think that there's a certain importance to that or a certain way that sort of helps you drive you in its own way that maybe a skills trainer or maybe going to one of these programs can't. So it's it's about trade-offs and about what we're valuing. And I think that what I like about this film is it sort of says, here's what we valued and here was the excitement that came from that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with what you said. And I was telling the story earlier about KCK. I think that was one of the themes at least from the players that played during that era from KCK is, you know, there's three high schools that are within a seven mile radius of one another. You know, every team at that point had multiple guys that go to division one, whether it's Wyandotte, you had, you know, their guard went to Oklahoma state, their other guard went to Nebraska, or you had UCLA where they had a future 12 year NBA pro on their team. And somebody like Joe Macklin that went to Colorado State or Schlegel, you know, so it was it was so much competition. And, you know, everybody's trying to get looks. Everybody's trying to get noticed. And during this time, you know, at least in the early part of the decade, you didn't get found out through AAU. You know, you got found out because a scout came to your high school basketball game and watched you play. So, Matt, to what you were saying, you know, that that was just one of the themes that, you know, the older players kept trying to really, you know, highlight is, you know, we appreciated the competition. The competition level made me better. In the summer, we went to the gym and we worked on our games and we got better and got better. And the the level of competition that we saw on the blacktop, we got that same intensity to translate to where there were actual fans and refs in attendance. So I do think we could probably talk about a lot of these um, subjects for 
like you said, hours and hours and hours. Um, I do want to kind of move on a little bit so we don't kind of keep you too long, uh, CDOT, but I, I, I do kind of want to talk about a little bit of of the, uh, you know, Kansas City and the players that have sort of ended up at Missouri. Um, we were talking a little bit before we start recording about uh, some of Missouri's success and, and maybe lack of success and, uh, you know, in recruiting in-state kids or, or in-state plus, which I think would kind of, you know, when you have like two major metropolitan areas uh, at the edge of the state, you have to kind of loop in um, the other side of the state. So like, I, I, I think of Aiden Shaw as a, an in-state kid. I thought of EJ Liddell as an in-state kid, even though they weren't really like Missouri kids, you still kind of look at, at the recruitment of them as like in-state proximity, right? Uh, so of the guys that you were kind of focusing on, like an era that was before, um, and, and still like existing with, with, you know, when Norm was, was coaching at Missouri, um, even up to Kareem Rush when, uh, you know, like Quinn Snyder was in the very early going, is the perception of Missouri as far as a lot of these, uh, you know, the former players and, uh, and even uh, some of the more modern guys, is, is the perception of Missouri as, as like a, a place that you want to end up? Is that still like exist in the Kansas City area? Is, is that something that, um, you know, has gone away as, as, uh, as the school like lost some of its luster over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years with sort of like this, you know, brand of mediocre basketball that we've sort of been subject to? With occasional pops, obviously, um, but I'm sort of curious because we have sort of seen some of Missouri's best teams. Um, you know, specifically, you look at like Marcus Demon and Mike Dixon and the success that they had. Uh, you know, and and really making a name for the program. Like, like, is there any kind of you know buzz in and around Missouri basketball within Kansas City these days? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's a maybe twofold, at least. My perception and you guys, you know, I know you live there, Sam. I, I've always felt like Mizzou is more of a Kansas City thing than a St. Louis thing. And maybe I'm maybe I'm just like wrong. You know, you we only live in our bubble, but it, it's always kind of came off that way to me um, between well, the two I, sides. Yeah, I will say, I mean, my, my uh, perception has always been that, that I think Kansas City is a much better college sports town than St. Louis. I think St. Louis has always been more geared towards professional sports. And obviously Kansas City has uh you know has the Chiefs and are you know very passionate about Chiefs and Royals really haven't had a good run uh other than a um a couple of years ago. Uh you know but I do think that their support of college sports is is better and deeper than uh than it is in St. Louis. I think what's happened with Missouri more so than being bad in basketball or not bad, but hit or miss over the last 20 years in basketball is, is the move to the sec where I would say maybe Kansas city's loves chiefs, one sports loves chiefs, one Royals two big 12 basketball is third. Now, a lot of that is Kansas and how good Kansas is, but Another thing of it is the love of the Big 12 tournament. Like, I think Kansas City looks at the Big 12 tournament is it is our event. It is the start of spring. 
we show up for this, we fill up Sprint Center, now the T-Mobile Center, we fill up Power and Light, and for a weekend, we are going to show people that we love college basketball more than any other part of the country. And I think what's hurt maybe Missouri enthusiasm more than anything is whenever Kansas City is having its big party to celebrate college basketball, Kansas City is playing in, or excuse me, Missouri is playing in Fort Lauderdale, or they're playing in Nashville, <laughs> and they're just nowhere near the party. So I think that has maybe calmed it as much as anything is the move to the SEC. And, you know, you just don't have those, you know, games against teams that people care about. And I, I love Mizzou. All three of us obviously love Mizzou, but that Tuesday game against Ole Miss is a lot harder to get up for than that Tuesday game against Iowa State or Kansas State or a team that you just have a long-standing rivalry with. So I would say, aside from their production on the court, the next biggest thing that's really diminished buzz for Missouri basketball, at least locally in Kansas City, is the move to the SEC. I always look at it, and I'm a Columbia kid, but at least from the outside looking in, and you look at narratives or perception, which aren't always – they're shorthand for stuff, but I always looked at Missouri's success at getting guys like Peeler or getting a guy like Javon Crudup or even you know up through you know guys like Dinman or Dixon. Missouri was able to sort of work into the public high school system in Kansas City and draw out top talent there. And we all sort of know about Norm's – long-standing struggles with the PHL and sort of especially with Floyd Irons and that relationship and you know how I remember like at turn of the millennium when it was like a big deal that like Mizzou took its team to Vashon for a walkthrough and like Quinn had gotten like Floyd's blessing to come into his gym to come into V-side and it was like freaking detente oh my god they're gonna open up the public high school league and then it just, Missouri's never gotten traction there. You know, there was a down cycle partly during Mike Anderson's tenure, you know, and during this upswing, Missouri's sort of been either in a ditch or trying to pull itself out of it. It's just, there's never been an alignment, whether it's of personalities, whether it's of talent, of anything. And it seems like when you look in Kansas City and Missouri, there's always been much more of a simpatico relationship there alongside whatever CDOT just talked about. So that's always been my perception from the outside looking in is that there's just been sort of that, you know, circumstance, relationships, whatever, have always worked better for Missouri on the west side of the state. I do want to make this one point that I would love to see somebody make a documentary about Bashan. Oh, like, boy. I don't know. If, I don't know if it exists, but. If you're like saying right now, like, <laughs> I wish I lived in St. Louis so I could make this documentary, I would love to know because, you know, we're talking to people who played in the 90s. So a lot of them was if we got to state, we knew who we were going to play. We knew we were going to play Vashon that, you know, their name came up so much over the course of the story that I'm thinking to myself, whatever happened to Vashon? Like, that's just not a story, at least people on this side of the state. No, obviously on, you know, you guys side of the state, you certainly have a much clearer <laughs> picture of it, but I, and I, I mean, and I, and I have a I very have no biased picture of it too. So. <laughs> having, uh, Sam's got, you know, having, Sam's been inside the beach. Yeah. Like having, uh, you know, been the, uh, the team manager, my, my brother went there, uh, went to and, and played at Vashon as a senior. 
um, and some weird things happened. And then playing there uh, again uh, my senior year, and a lot of weird uh, things happened. So um, I, I don't know that I, I certainly probably am not the guy that uh, should should pursue that documentary. But Carrington, if you find the guy, you, you let him know that I will be more than happy to sit down for an interview about uh, everything that I think uh, about <laughs> about Vashon and, and more specifically like Floyd Irons and, and the program that he ran. Because I don't I like I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, Tony is his uh, his son who's who's since sort of rekindled the program. I'm a, a zoo bit, guy. But um, yeah. Supposedly a Mizzou guy too. I I just remember like at one point I was doing like research because I was interested in it. I can't, maybe I, Carrington, you came across, I don't know if you came across something similar in Kansas city, but I remember in the mid eighties, the St. Louis post dispatch published a story, like a three part series where the driving premise was do St. Louis public coaches think Norm Stewart is racist. (laughs) Like that was the driving premise of, and it was three parts. And I, Maybe I just missed that story being done by the star or the Kansas city news. But I think that sort of encapsulates like Missouri's long sort of relationship with St. Louis. There was oh, always sort of that undercurrent. Wow. I got to read this. I I've never, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know this story existed. So one thing I did learn was, uh, so I got a library card. And they have like an online database where you can read every article that's ever been written in the Kansas City Star. So, you know, if you're making a doc, you know, everybody see them. They use like headlines and stuff. So you got to go through it and find it. But it's always like cool to read, you know, a story about freshman Jerron Rush or, you know, Javon Crudup as a sophomore. Like it was just kind of cool to go back and read because obviously I never read that kind of stuff. So I got to try to find this story. This is nuts. I never heard this before. Yeah, it was like came out in like 85 or 86 and it was like it was just weird to read cuz nobody would ever just out and out say Norm's racist, but it was like every time black players like go down to Columbia, they seem to have a really hard time and the adjustment period is tough and the staff is really like it was pretty much like not so well veiled as to like what was being implied there and it always and Floyd didn't always dismiss it either. Like if you looked at it in the late nineties after Norm retired and Quinn came in, he was not, you know, making his uh, happiness of Norm's <laughs> departure. Uh, subtle. So you know I, I just think that that's always, that's always been the subtle mm-hmm. difference to me is it never feels like there's this b- barely cold war happening between like key, you know, hubs of talent in one city versus another. And I think that's always been, sort of the fascinating element there is that Missouri's always seem to find more traction on the West side. You know what? I will, after we get off this, I will try to look for this article. Cause now I like really, really want to read it. <laughs> like I really, I really want to read it. Um, yeah, it was, it was just cool, man. To like, you know, I found, you know, there's probably, there's probably 30 hours of stuff that just, you know, isn't going to make this documentary. That was just like, really cool to watch like if you know it's it's watching Javon Crudup sign his letter of intent to go to Missouri it's watching Kareem sign his letter of intent to go to Missouri you know it's like these little things that you know like all right maybe this doesn't make it but just like was just like really really cool to see and one thing you know over the process of doing this is you know it was kind of like finding a time machine you know like to go back and be able to watch you know 
a news broadcast from 1992 was just wild, you know, like that's just not something that you have the ability to do now in real time. So, um, you know, just kind of finding all this kind of stuff. So, you know, now that I know how to navigate the newspaper archives, I got to find this story. (laughs) Well, I found it for you. I have found it and I will read you the headline. Oh, wow. Published on June 19, 1985. Front page of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch Sports section. It's part of a series called Norm Stewart, A Paradox. The headline, Stewart in Blacks. Does he understand? Oh, my goodness. Yo, send this to me, please. I, I promise you I will. I promise you I will read this today. I, pro- I promise you I will quote read this Quote from Floyd tonight. Irons. Quote from Floyd Irons. Maybe he feels the city kids are not the type of kids he needed in the program. Soldan's coach. <laughs> I'd love to see more city kids in the Mizzou problem in the Mizzou program. If it's not to be, it's not to be like the two leading coaches of public high school in St. Louis, basically heaving Norm under a bus on the front page of the post dispatch. So I, I don't know if you came across something similar in Kansas city, but no, I, I didn't <laughs> No, I, I, I want to read this story. I, I can't wait to read it. I've never, heard of this story i've never seen this story so this is going to be a, a worthwhile nighttime endeavor for me <laughs> well little uh little uh you know gems for everybody uh including our listeners now can go uh back in the post dispatch archives uh but see that we got to wrap you up a little bit because matt and i still got some uh regular podcasting to do <laughs> Um, but i do want you to give uh or i do want to give you a chance to plug uh, everything about this trailer, so or, or this this documentary. So just tell people uh, everything they need to know about when it's coming out, how they can watch it, uh, and what they can uh, can do to sort of support uh, you in this this documentary. Yeah, as of now, I mean, the only way to see it, at least for the first weekend, is to watch it in Kansas City. So it was really important to me to keep the story local. It's a local story, so we've teamed up with a movie theater called Screenland Armor here. It's in North Kansas City. So it's going to be shown there for the first week, and then we're going to move it across the state line to Fine Arts Theater, and then it's going to be there for uh, a weekend, and then it'll be available available digitally. So I understand that everybody listening right now lives in the Kansas City area, so there will be a time for people to watch it that either want to purchase the DVD or watch it um, via streaming. There will be a time to do that, but at least for the early part, you know, it was it was really important to me that, and, and it's just someone who. I I love movies. I love going to the movie theater. So at least for me, it's like really cool to see something that like I made something that has a Rotten Tomatoes page or something that has an IMDb <laughs> page. And, you know, you can go on Fandango and you can buy tickets for, you know, like that was just like a really like that was something I wanted to do, you know, to be able to say that I did that. So uh, at least in the short term, the only way to see it is going to be seeing it in a theater at Screenland Armor and just trying to push everybody to come to the September 30th opening night. I think it's going to be a really special night. We're really close to selling out. So, you know, at least now with COVID and everything that's going, you know, there hasn't been too many times where you can watch a movie where it's packed, you know, like I've probably been to, you know, six or seven movies, you know, since everything's kind of got back to normal, quote unquote, and the movie theater's kind of half empty. So, you know, I'm really excited for people to just, you know, have that sense of community, have that sense of pride and, you know, w- w- watch a story about us and watch a story about where we're from. 
Well, I'm excited. I uh, can't wait to see it. I will not be in Kansas City for the premiere, but uh, I will certainly look for my first opportunity to, to catch it. I'm very proud of what you've done, CDOT. I'm excited to watch this. I, I, I think you should be really, really proud. Uh, it's, it's a super cool idea, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to follow through on it. I appreciate it. Well, I, you know, I know a guy that can give you guys a copy of it so you can watch it. I know, I know a guy. So you don't have to come to Kansas City. Uh, I will just send you guys a copy and you guys can watch it. And just all you got to do for me is just tweet out what you think about it. Well, we, uh, we're going to have uh, like a full on post on Rock'em Nation and, and all kinds of uh, things leading up to make sure that, 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 you know, people get opportunities to see us. So. Uh, I appreciate you coming on uh, for anyone that uh, doesn't already, which if you, you don't, I mean, you do have to put up with a whole lot of Kansas City Chiefs tweets, um, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely follow my man C.Harrison on Twitter. Uh, that is his Twitter handle, C.Harrison. Uh, you can also listen to him on the radio show at uh, 610 Sports KC. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? I just want people to come see the documentary. That's it. <laughs> That's all I want. I just want people to come see it. All right, man. Thanks so much. My thanks to Carrington Harrison, who is is no longer a former Rock'em Nation contributor. Uh, CDOT is going to be dropping articles all the time now, apparently. Uh, Matt, we've given him the green light. That, that sounds great. As much as he would like to. Con- we love content. <laughs> and, I, and really, like I enjoy uh, CDOT and his takes. I think he threw me under the bus a little bit because I am not that slow to respond to text messages. Now you're usually um, yelling at me though, so that's. that's... I, I I do think I, I do think there was a situation where he wanted to write about uh, something that had happened. I'm trying, can't remember what it was, and like within the day, the news had changed, <laughs> and so he's like, "I don't want to write about it anymore." I was like, "All right, whatever." Um, but no, so I, I'm I'm very excited for his movie. I can't wait to watch it. Um, if you are in the Kansas City area, uh, do everything you can to go for the premiere. Uh, definitely follow up if you can't make it for the premiere and, and go see it in the theater. It's going to support uh, a passionate filmmaking project, which I think if you're talking about, um, and on top of that, like see that's good people. So you get to support good people, a passionate project, and something that's going to be really if you're listening to this podcast i guarantee you will enjoy this movie. <laughs> like i just don't think a lot of our listeners um the venn diagram is per- a circle That's yeah. what <laughs> it's, it's there's a lot of crossover so um you know even even if you aren't completely familiar uh with that era of kansas city basketball it's a great great era uh, so it should be a lot of fun um but you and i are going to wrap this up uh we have already been talking for way longer than I thought we would tonight, um, but there was just so much to cover with with uh, with Carrington's movie. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take uh, the next two weeks off. We're gonna let uh, before the box score kind of do their thing again. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to work out Eric Bossy in two weeks, and we'll get the full download on on Aiden Shaw by then. Matt, it's gonna be October, and we are like. We are barreling uh, down here uh, towards the the tip of the 2021-22 season. That means um, SEC preview time. Oh, yeah. And I that's what I'm going to do tonight once we wrap up is I'm going to go work on that damn Georgia preview because the Georgia Bulldogs are going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Eat your veggies first. <laughs> a little, a little, a little tease for everybody. Um, yeah, so we'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you, if you want us to answer like any questions uh, or something that that is just on your mind, uh, you can actually go into the Apple Podcast, leave a review. Uh, please make it sort of favorable at least. Um, if you're gonna kill anybody, kill Matt. He's the he's the big problem in this podcast. Uh, but you can ask a question there, and we will we will answer it on the podcast. How's that sound, Matt? Sure, we'll we'll give it a rip. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks with uh, with answers to your questions. Hopefully, Eric Bossy, more basketball content uh, as we get ever so close uh, to the, the the new season. Uh, I'm excited. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you soon.